Father, we thank you for another day. This is the day that you have made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Thank you, Lord, for breath in our lungs, blood running through our veins. Thank you, Lord, that we can gather together and worship your name because you truly deserve it. You deserve all the praise, all the honor, not just based on what you've done for us, but just because of who you are, just because you are good God, just because you created us in your image, Lord. I pray that we would just celebrate your presence, not only your provision, God, but we would celebrate you just being you, a God who is faithful and just and powerful and holy and kind and merciful, Lord. We lift you up and we thank you for your presence with us. And I pray, Lord, now that as we move forward in our worship, God, would you be with us as we seek to be with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning, Cornerstone. How y'all doing? Good morning. Y'all uh, y'all can stay up. I'm going I'm to read the, the verse real quick and then I'll let y'all sit back down. I know y'all been standing up for a minute. Uh, my name is Tim again. I'm one of the pastors here at Cornerstone, and I have the privilege of preaching God's word this morning. We'll be in Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. Luke 18, verses 1 through 8, reading out of the CSB version of the Bible. This is the parable of the persistent widow. In the Bible, it reads like this. Now, he told them a parable on the need for them to pray always and not give up. There was a judge in a certain town who didn't fear God or respect people. And a widow in that town kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while, he was unwilling, but later he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or respect people, yet because this widow keeps pestering me, I will give her justice so that she doesn't wear me out by her persistent coming. Then the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. Will not God grant justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay helping them? I tell you that he will swiftly grant them justice. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Father, we thank you for this time. I pray that in this moment that we would hear your word and that we would do your word. Lord God, I pray that you would give me the grace to make it my ambition to please you and you alone. Have your way in this place. Fill us with your presence and bless us through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Guys, go ahead and have a seat.
Luke's gospel is the gospel for the outsiders. Those on the outside of structures of power. We see in his gospel that those who are outside of those structures of power are still included in the kingdom of God. They don't have much to offer God. All they have is their need. And that's all God really wants from them. They acknowledge their need and receive God's mercy. And attention develops as you continue to read Luke because the political empires in that time, the religious authorities have a problem with Jesus because those on the outside have access to him that they thought they had. Jesus comes on the scene and he is sitting with sinners. He's eating with tax collectors. He's discipling women. He's honoring the faith of prostitutes. And he's preaching a gospel that does not preserve their power. He preaches a gospel to the poor, a gospel that proclaims the release of captives, the recovery of sight to the blind, setting the oppressed free. In Luke, those who do not have power in this world except Jesus because they see their need for Jesus. They see their need for mercy. But those who are consumed with their power because they see their power as a means to God reject Jesus because their power blinds them of their need for Jesus. Luke, he presents Jesus as a savior that has come to save that which was lost. Jesus goes out and he's proclaiming his word, raising the dead, healing the sick, and he's moving closer to his ultimate purpose. Luke 9.51, it says that Jesus is determined to go to, to Jerusalem that he set his face like a stone to accomplish his divine assignment given to him by his father. And as he moves closer to the cross, he's clarifying his mission and he begins to confront those who think that their power in the world secures their relationship with God. Those who have a exalted place in the world cannot exalt God in Luke because their hearts are hardened and they see God as a threat to their power. Luke, 40, uh, Luke 14, verse 11, Jesus says this, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The question that we ask ourselves in the book of Luke is, who has access? Who is included in the kingdom? Does proximity to power guarantee access to God? Is there a space for those on the outside of powerful structures and systems? Is there space 
for those on the outside, the lame, the blind, the weak, the poor, do they have access to the kingdom of God? Jesus, in this section of Luke, he's experiencing increased opposition because of what he's preaching. And as he's experiencing this opposition, it drives him to a deeper commitment to his disciples as, he, as he's equipping them to live life as a disciple of Jesus in the midst of an unjust world. And today, Jesus shows us in Luke 18 that prayer is where the powerless obtain power in, the un, in an unjust world. My title for this message is just this, don't stop praying. Because if you stop praying, you're missing out on the power God has for you to live in an unjust world that he's called us to be faithful in. Just because you may not have access to status and prestige and power in this world does not mean that you live a life of powerlessness. That God has given us a resource and access to him through prayer that empowers our faith and empowers our mission as Christians. First thing we see in Luke 18 is the power of persistence. Jesus, through this parable, parable is teaching his disciples about the nature of prayer in an unjust world. Verse 1 of chapter 18, he says, he told them to pray always and never give up. Jesus starts his message, his lecture on prayer by saying, keep praying. To pray without ceasing, to be devoted to prayer, to be watchful in prayer, to keep praying. He's teaching his disciples that communicating with God is not about how well you sound. It's not about your intelligence and your intellect as you're communicating with God. It's not about how well you pray, but are you willing to give your life to prayer? Will you cast your cares on the Lord because you know he cares for you? As they are facing opposition, Jesus knows that this is important because he knows that prayerlessness happens when our experiences swallow up our expectation in God. He is preparing his disciples to endure the struggle and continue in the faith, and he knows that they will not be able to endure without praying and not giving up. He says, don't stop praying. The secret of powerful prayer is to be persistent in prayer. He tells them to keep praying, and he teaches them how to pray through the story of a powerful judge and a helpless widow. We see in this story, there is a judge that does not care. He does not care about God. He does not care about justice. He does not care about people. He does not care about doing what's right. He cares only for himself. His power gives him the illusion that he is protected from God's judgment that he's exempt from doing what is right among the people because he's in a position of high authority. Yes, he 
is a judge that does not care. He's indifferent. He has no shame. He does not care about the opinions of people around him. He does not care, but now he faces a widow that will not quit. Those who are drunk with power can live in a fantasy that believes that power protects them from doing what's right. But he faces a widow that will not quit and she persistently comes to him saying, give me justice in my situation. It's been said that the definition of insanity is to do the same thing over and over again and expecting the different result. But in prayer, this widow teaches us that doing the same thing over and over again is not a sign of insanity, it's a mark of maturity. Can you imagine this widow? In her grief, she's in the lowest position in her society. She has no one to provide for her, no one to protect her. She comes with grief and sadness and helplessness and she stands in this courtroom by herself and she tells the most powerful person in the courtroom, give me justice and I will not leave you alone until I get what I need. This widow will not leave this judge alone until she gets what she's asked for. This judge in this parable is in power, but we find in this story that he is really powerless. This widow keeps showing up in the courtroom pleading her case, asking and demanding justice, and her persistence exposes his weakness. Jesus teaches us that sometimes in the life of prayer, that prayer is a protest. That prayer is a protest against what is that should not be. There should be justice, but there is not. There should be love, but there is not. There should be righteousness where there is not. Prayer fills the space between heaven and earth. Prayer is the call for us to call and ask God to do the things that only he can do in the midst of an evil and broken world. This widow church, she has no power in the world, but she has a voice. And her voice is her power. Her words over time, her demands break down the indifference and the power that this judge has in this situation. She will not leave him alone until she gets what she needs. The widow is pestering him. She's causing him trouble. She's beating him down with her requests. One translation, as we see in this passage, she's wearing him down. That phrase, wearing him down, this term was used in boxing. It was a term used for a blow that leads to a bruised eye. This is what the widow is doing to the judge in this parable. She's beating him down with her request. She is winning the fight in protesting her need through violently asking and demanding that he responds to her 
need and his weakness is exposed. She shows us that persistence is the real power that we need in prayer. And church, this is an encouragement. This is a call for us in this world. Persistence is our weapon in prayer. That prayer is not about so much what you say, but it's about showing up. That prayer is about desperation. How bad do you need what you need? How bad do you need God to come through for you? How bad do you need God to change situations in your life? How bad and how willing are you to give your life to prayer? Her desperation is a mark of her faithfulness. His indifference is broken down because her need is so great and this is a life and death situation and if he does not respond for her, her life is in danger. Church, we must, in the power of persistence, embrace what God has given us in the power of prayer. That God has called us to pray and never give up and in persistence, we actually experience God's power to keep us and provide for us with the things that we need. The widow's persistence teaches us how to pray, but it also forces us to pay attention to our relationship between prayer and justice. Could it be, church, that we need to consider that sometimes our lack of prayer is why we lack gospel impact in our communities. Why, why, why do we have the resources? Why do we have more resources than past generations but we lack the same results that they had? Could it be, church, that we are not seeing and pursuing social justice in our world because we've neglected the spiritual power that we have in prayer? Could it be that we've allowed those spiritual cliches that we hear when we see injustice, that we've allowed those who respond to injustice with only thoughts and prayers, only responding and saying that we'll pray for the situation with no immediate approach and decision to actively change the situations that we face. Could it be that we've allowed those spiritual cliches to lead us and disciple us into believing that prayer really does not matter? This widow, she teaches us, she reminds us that prayer is a protest and that we are called to engage injustice in this world and the foundation of that work must be rooted and grounded in a life of consistent, persevering prayer. Jesus teaches us through the story of the judge and the widow that we must pray and not give up, that there's a power that we have in persistence that breaks down evil and the brokenness that we face in this world. We see the power of persistence. And then we move forward and we see the assurance of answered prayer. The power 
of praying, not to an evil and wicked judge, but a faithful judge that is rooted in righteousness. We see Jesus in verse 6. He says, listen to what the unjust judge says. He's calling his disciples to pay attention to the response of this unjust judge. And he builds his argument for prayer through comparison. This is what Jesus is saying to his disciples, and this is what makes me excited and makes me happy when I read this passage. The story follows is this, that if an unjust judge is willing to give justice to a helpless widow, how much more will the God of justice provide justice for his people? If this power, powerless widow receives justice through persistence, how much more will God's children receive justice when they ask their loving and just God? Church, I got to tell you this morning that God is calling us to pray like the widow in the parable because in his kingdom we are not like the widow. The widow goes to the courtroom and she demands justice. And for every Christian in this room, I got to tell you this morning that you were in a courtroom at one time, that you were guilty of sin and unrighteousness, and the sentence was death. But we had a lawyer in the courtroom, the advocate, Jesus, the righteous, who came and died for our sins. And he took the case on our behalf. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. But we had a lawyer in the courtroom. And now we receive the truth that the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. We are not the ones who have to go into the courtroom and plead our case. But now we are God's children who go boldly to the throne of grace and receive mercy when we need it. The widow had a legal right to justice. But now because we've been adopted into the family of God, and now because we have the down payment of the Holy Spirit, y'all ain't in here with me today. And now because God has saved us and ransomed us by his precious blood, now we have a right to be heard. We have a right to be heard, not based on the good that you do, not based on your goodness, but based on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And unlike this unjust, this unjust judge, we have a God who does not have to be forced to listen to us. A God does not, that does not have to be bribed and coerced to do what's right in order to answer our prayers. He's the God who knows what we need before we ask him. And because he knows what we need before we ask him, we can trust that he will supply our needs according to his riches and his glory. And we freely and consistently go and we ask and we receive. We seek and we find. We knock and the door is open to us because God has given us access to him through his son. We have assurance that God answers prayer because he's given us an access that cannot be taken away from us. We have assurance that he answers prayer because we have assurance in our relationship with Jesus. The word assures us and Jesus assures his disciples of their assurance in 
prayer, that God always hears their requests. But even though the disciples know that God answers the prayers of his people, he anticipates that they will struggle and sometimes question his timing in answering their prayers. This is the question that's lifted in this text. If God knows that his people are crying out day and night, then why does he delay in responding? Why is there this unnecessary strain in prayer? Why do we have to endure the exhaustion of going every single day to God, asking him the same thing over and over again when he knows exactly what we need? And church, this is the hard part when it comes to prayer. It's one thing to experience delay when you're asking God for what you want. But it's a whole nother tension and a whole nother struggle when you are coming to God, asking him to do what he wants to do, and you're still experiencing delay. Jesus is reminding, encouraging, teaching his disciples that prayer keeps us sane when things don't make sense. The experience of injustice, the presence of evil, the presence of suffering. Seeing a young black boy being arrested this week while taking out the trash. Seeing evil and injustice and brokenness when it comes to our border issues in this country. We ask the question, how long? How long, Lord, will we continue to have to face injustice and endure the opposition that we see in this world? How long will we have to endure and face these things that we know you have the power to change? Church, Jesus is teaching us that as we see injustice and suffering and pain in this world, waiting without praying can suffocate our faith. Unanswered prayers or delayed answers to prayer reveal our posture towards the Lord. Church, this is important as we think about being discipled and we think about our prayer lives and our community together, that something is always happening to us as we're praying or something is happening to us if we neglect the gift of prayer. When we are facing delayed answers to our prayers, we can either grow in resignation or we can develop resentment towards the Lord. Resignation is the acceptance of something that is unpleasant, that you feel like you cannot change. It's to give yourself over to your circumstances without resistance. It is the feeling of despair and hopelessness because you are experiencing powerlessness. Folks that struggle with resignation can address, can, can confess what they're going through and what they're facing, but they feel like they cannot address their struggles because they don't have the power to change what they're going through. 
This is when hopelessness sets in and it shapes us. Resignation teaches us, it tells us that the things we face will not change. That the things we face cannot change and because I don't have the ability to change my circumstances. And it seems like God is delaying actually working on my behalf because I don't have the ability to change what I'm going through. I no longer have the responsibility to pray. Resignation can creep into our lives when we are facing unanswered or delayed answers to prayer. We also see resentment can creep into our hearts and our minds as we wrestle in prayer. Resentment is a quiet defiance. It's a bitterness that takes root when discouragement develops over a course of time. It's the intense feeling of frustration because of the presence of ongoing disappointment. A deep feeling of betrayal that shows up as anger or indifference towards God because you feel like God has failed you. Resentment tells us that there is failure in God and prayer will only produce more disappointment in my life. It's easier to have no expectation at all instead of actually pursuing God in prayer, expecting him to come through. We have to be watchful in prayer as we're waiting on God's promises to come to us. Delay shows us, church, if our assurance is in our understanding of what God will do instead of our assurance being in what God has done. Dr. William Curtis, he says it like this, that prayer is not only God giving you what you want, but prayer grounds you in God's will. That it is the prayer of Jesus. Remove this cup from me, but not my will, but your will be done. It is the prayer we see in Matthew 6, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That prayer is not only a means for us getting what we need, but it's also a way that God strengthens us in our faith. Church, we have to acknowledge and wrestle as we are called to pray and not give up, even when we find ourselves in difficult situations, that sometimes we have an idol of understanding. That we can trust our knowledge of God instead of trusting God through prayer. That sometimes we think that knowing what God will do is a prerequisite to trusting God and obeying the Lord. That we say to God through our actions, through our habits, that we will be obedient when you give us the answers that we ask. That we feel like we need to figure out everything in our lives in order for us to be found faithful, in order for God to be worthy of our trust. In pressing moments, 
moments of despair, moments of confusion, moments of lament. We can lean on our own understanding. And based on what we understand, we think that we'll trust the Lord after we have the understanding. But the Bible says to trust in the Lord with all of your heart, to lean not to your own understanding, but in all of your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct our paths. Church, this is not a call to blind faith. Blind faith has, in some ways, hindered and, and crippled our witness in the world. No, God has called you to know what you believe and why you believe it. When God saved us, he called us to a deep and intimate knowledge into who he is. We should be able to tell people about the truth of the Trinity. We should be able to tell people about how God saves us and how he justifies us by faith in his son. We should be able to communicate the power and the presence and the historical reality of the resurrection. God has called us to a knowledge of who he is, but we have to be careful not to trust our knowledge and who he is rather than trusting him through prayer when we're facing difficult situations. Faith is a supplement. No, knowledge is a supplement to faith. It's not a prerequisite to trusting the Lord. Jesus, he gives them assurance. He tells them, surely, swiftly, God will grant them justice. That word swiftly can be better translated suddenly at the twinkling of an eye in a moment's notice that God will surely give justice to his chosen people. Jesus shifts the focus in verse 8. He answers the questions that he knows that his disciples will answer as they're facing intense opposition in this unjust world. But then he shifts the focus of the disciples. Those who are suffering or will suffer injustice are looking forward to a just world where injustice will end one day. But Jesus is looking for a people who will walk by faith and not by sight as they wait for him to bring justice in the world. He says, who will he find faith? Where will he find faith? Will he find faith on the earth when he returns? That Jesus is looking for something. He's reminding his disciples that, yes, there is a God who will come and judge the injustices that we faith, but this same God is coming to judge the faith of his people. That there is a God who is evaluating the faith of his elect, and how is he evaluating that faith? The Bible says that faith comes through hearing and hearing the word of God, and God hears our faith through our persistent prayer. He's saying the ones who have faith will persistently pray because they know that God is a God who says and will commit himself to do what he's said that he will do. Yes, this Jesus, he's 
coming back one day and he's looking for those who will persistently pray as an expression of committed faith. Our assurance is not in the information we have. Our assurance is not in the predictions that people make. Our assurance is not trying to identify what God will do in the future. No, our assurance is found in prayer through knowing the power of the resurrection. Dr. Gina Stewart, she says it like this, that the resurrection is an insurrection. It is a revolt against sin. It is a revolt against evil and darkness. It is a revolt against all the powers of evil that we face in this world. The power and the assurance of the resurrection gives us confidence in our prayers because Jesus has already overcome the injustices through his resurrection. Now, because of the resurrection, because of the reality that God has defeated sin and death and he has promised to make all things right, it reshapes how we see and understand delay. God's delays, as one commentator would say, are not delays of inactivity, but of preparation. Committing to a life of prayer, it moves us to a conviction that God will and is making all things right, that God is reconciling the world to himself, that God is committed himself to make all things right. And through prayer, we are committing ourselves to do what he's called us to do right now. Bible says in Titus 2, 11 through 14, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, instructing us to deny God lists this in worldly lust and to live in a sensible and righteous and godly way in this present age. While we what? We wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession who are eager to do good works. Because we anticipate his coming, well, he will make all things right. We are preparing ourselves for action. We are preparing ourselves for his coming. We are purifying ourselves as we wait on his revelation to the world where the judge, who is faithful and holy and true, will come back and there will be no more sin, no more sorrow, no more injustice. We're preparing ourselves through encouraging one another every day to commit ourselves to prayer, not giving up, waiting on Jesus to come to make all things right. We are called to a persistent life of prayer because that's where our power is found in an unjust and a broken world. And we have assurance that God will answer prayer because we have assurance that he truly was raised from the dead with our power in his hands. Luke 12, Jesus is preparing his disciples for a life of faithfulness and ministry. He says in Luke 12, verses 42, he says, Who then is the faithful and sensible manager 
his master will put in charge of his household to give them their allotted food at a proper time. Blessed is that servant whom the master finds doing his job when he returns. Verse 44, truly I tell you, he will be put in charge of all his possessions. But if that servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and starts to beat his male and female servants and ask to drink and get drunk, that service master will come on the day he does not expect. And at an hour he does not know will cut him into pieces and assign him to a place with the unfaithful. That God has called us to a life of prayer. And prayer prepares us. It equips us. It strengthens us as we patiently wait on his coming as we pursue God's will in God's world. My only application for us as a church this morning, as we think about prayer, as we think about persistence, as we think about the assurance we have in prayer, is I want us to encourage our church to pray for a specific ministry within our church. And Minister Justice has been going on for close to a year within our church, and it is a program where legal aid is provided for those who are experiencing injustice through many forms, marriage or housing or issues with landlords. And for a year, we've had the opportunity and the gift to meet people where they are and provide legal aid for them and also provide spiritual counseling for them as they are navigating the difficulties of life. My charge, my encouragement for us this morning is for us to commit to pray for that ministry. Thanking the Lord for what he's done that several families have been helped and supported in legal aid through this ministry that God has provided for us in Atlanta. This being the first gospel center that's in the state of Georgia. This is a gift to our church and it's something that we must celebrate and thank God, especially for those who've been serving for close to a year in this ministry. This is an opportunity for us to pray for justice. But church, this is also an opportunity for us to participate in the justice work that God is doing through the opportunities he provides for us. And so I wanna encourage us as we move forward, as we think about our prayers, that God has called us to a life of prayer and a life a mission that this is an opportunity for us to pray for this ministry, but also find ways to participate in this ministry. You may know somebody who needs legal aid. You, know, you, may, be, you may know somebody who's experiencing the weight of gentrification in Atlanta, and this is an opportunity within our church to pray and participate in what, what God is doing in our communities through participating in this ministry. God has called us to a life of persistent, persevering prayer. Prayer is where we ask God to move. And as we're asking God to move, he's moving us to respond to his word in faith. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for the gift of prayer. And we ask you, Lord God, would you help us to pray and not give up? Help us to pray even in the midst of 
discouragement and disappointment and difficulty. By your grace, would you help us just to show up in prayer? Lord, for those who are struggling to pray, Lord, I pray that through community we would gather around those who may be struggling to pray and lift up words that they may not be able to utter on their own. Will we be committed to praying to you, but also praying for one another in order for us to experience your presence and your power that you've gifted us through your son? Would you fill us with your Holy Spirit? Would you grant us the conviction, the endurance we need to pray and not give up? We thank you for this moment, and we thank you for your love and your grace towards us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.